Blog Talk Radio. Curator of Sustainable News at Southeast Green. And this morning we are going to be talking about sheep. What? Sheep wolves, precisely. <laughs> and um, we're excited to have Andrew Legge here with us with Havelock Wool. Um, Andrew is a high energy individual who has enjoyed applying a broad skill set across multiple sectors while constantly striving to make a difference. Comfort is derived in extensive multitasking while in a leadership role. Cross-border, multicultural negotiation is preferred, having lived in New York, San Francisco, Saigon, and Singapore, and transacted business across Asia-Pacific, the Middle East, Europe, and the U.S. Skills and experience consist of numerous leadership functions, capital raising, investment origination, and all aspects of um, those kinds of things. Um, Andrew is grew up in New Jersey and lived in New York City and San Francisco before spending six years in Southeast Asia. He then returned to the Bay Area before moving to Lake Tahoe to be closer to Havelock's production facility and the ski hill. Studies include a BA in history from Hampton Sydney College and an MBA in finance from the University of Chicago Booth School of Business. Welcome, Andrew. Thank you very much for having me. Good morning. We are really excited to talk to you. Now, I'm going to give a little backstory before we get into um, the conversation. Uh, right. We actually were contacted by um, your company, and we did an article. And I was just saying before we got on air, my intern did an article. And what's really interesting about the article is, is I've known about this stuff for nine years, but never have we had this conversation because I never felt like it was sort of in a production model where people could really get their hands on it. So tell us a little bit about what you're doing with Havelock Wool. Yeah, and that point you make is an important one because when we launched the business three and a half years ago, that was our focus. Um, We had done a lot of research. We had talked to a lot of market participants about what we thought the opportunity was. And, Um, In putting our goals together and, of course, modeling the business for what we thought the potential was, something we tried to pay really close attention to um, was, you know, not that there's anything wrong with being a mom and pop. And, in fact, you know, we were huge supporters of those types of businesses in all spaces, not least ours. Um, But we wanted to make sure that we were positioned to get in the market in a way that we could actually – sort of be a real participant and, um, you know, try to get after some sort of real scale. Now, I think it's really important to put that in context because the U.S. insulation market is $16 billion. And if we get 1% of that marketplace, we've done exceptionally well. So it's important to note that we're, we're here to offer people a healthy, sustainable natural, non-toxic alternative that happens to be quite a high performer, um, given the integrity of a wool fiber, which I'm sure we'll get into. Um, But from our perspective, we just wanted to make sure that we were going to represent ourselves as a business that you could come to if you had a large-scale commercial project um, and get access to the kind of um, 
um, timely delivery that you might be looking for. And then just the same, we've positioned ourselves to have conversations with, you know, individual tiny home builders who don't understand cheap's wool insulation and, and its merits. And we want to make sure that everybody gets the same amount of time from us. And so that's our plan. Um, and, and certainly like any startup, the first three and a half years, I've seen a fair bit of deviation from the original plan, um, just in terms of, you know, sort of unexpected things that come around the next corner. Um, but the big picture has never changed and it's based solely on the fact that, a there's, there's really a lot going on within the dynamics of a wool fiber. Okay. So a wool fiber insulation is, is um, I'm assuming that's the only product y'all make. Is that true? It is. And we make the, 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 the key point here is there's a big conversation amongst um, certainly the building scientists, but even high performance builders. There's a, there's an increasing preference for blow-in insulation. And the view there is that it does a better job filling the cavity. Um, a more traditional form would be bat, for, bat insulation, which is you know, your sort of traditional rectangle that you slide in the cavity. And the view is that bats will slump over time and therefore you get gaps and that's really bad for what you're trying to do with insulation, of course, which is um, um, you know, block those gaps and, and create an element of thermal conductivity in the, in the, in the cavity. And so the, the general view or the increasing view is that blow-in insulation does a better job filling those gaps and not slumping over time. And so we took some advice early on because that was an easier product for us to make, that maybe we should just stay out of the bat game. And um, frankly, from our perspective, going back to well before we started, we wanted to make sure that we were offering both products because indeed there's a market for both products. So to answer your question, we make a, a blow-in insulation um, which takes a different consistency. We actually make little balls out of um, the wool and then alternatively make a more traditional bat form insulation, which we make um, both are, are made using repurposed roughly 60-year-old carding machines um, that we run very simplistically on um, electric VFD motors. Um, and then the, the, the really fun part about our bats is they're actually needle-punched so there's no synthetic mix in there. There's no glue for a bonding agent. We literally are just binding the wool on itself, um, which allows us to be quite comfortable knowing that we make absolutely hands down the most natural, healthy green insulation option in the market. Well, I always say God knew what he was doing when he gave animals fur coats. Um, mm, indeed. Um, I don't use my fur coat nearly as ever, hardly. We've had a lot of mild winters in Atlanta, but I certainly enjoyed it um, when I had it. I just will say that it was a recycled. It was a hand-me-down. Um, I did not yeah, buy it. But, um, you know, but I was like, well, there's no reason to throw it in the landfill either. So, um, Indeed. So wool, a natural wool insulation, I'm very um, interested in how, T tell us the qualities of a wool insulation versus your typical fiberglass insulation. Yeah, it really, again, comes down to, you know, just how dynamic the fiber is. And if you think about it, other insulations, it's interesting that, you know, fiberglass calls itself glass wool now. Um, 
there's a new type of insulation called rock wool or mineral wool. And, you know, these things aren't wool. Um, they're, they're fibers that, that are entirely synthetic in their creation, which means that there's a massive amount of energy use that goes into creating those fibers. Conversely, the fibers that we use come out of the back of a sheep, um, and, and those fibers are created by those sheep walking around eating grass. We, we source our wool these days specifically in New Zealand, um, and the sheep there literally walk around in some of the most beautiful pastoral settings you've ever seen in your life, and they eat grass that's fueled by rainfall. And that fiber has evolved over literally thousands upon thousands of years to protect sheep from the elements. And it's not just, um, you know, hot and cold. It's, it's wet and dry. It's just become a wildly dynamic fiber that has evolved over that time to protect sheep from the elements. And so it seems like somewhat of a natural that we would be doing the same thing for ourselves. And so it really gets down to the science and even a little bit the chemistry of a wool fiber. So first off, in its creation, there are five follicles. So if you look at a coarse wool fiber under a microscope, you're going to see a very dynamic, um, scaly tube sitting under you. If you look at a cotton fiber, it's going to look more like a piece of spaghetti. It's just not super dynamic. And if you just think about that, if you're out um, exercising or running or skiing, what you're going to want is that dynamic fiber because it's going to take that moisture away from your body. Um, and then what that fiber does is quite interesting. And what a wool one will do is very quickly give that off. And so it's going to work with you as you're out exercising. Um, conversely, we spend a lot of time backcountry skiing. And one of the things that's talked about there is that cotton kills. Um, when cotton gets wet, it stays wet. It doesn't dry and it really starts to underperform. I think synthetic fibers, it's best to stay on the garment side of things when talking about this, because I think it makes more sense to people. Um, synthetic fibers are sort of the same way. They're just sort of low integrity. And so they may work for a while, but over time, they're going to stop doing what they did well at the start. And that's probably typically a season. Um, and then they're going to start to smell. And it's literally goes just back to, you know, how dynamic that fiber is or not. So the, the, the five follicles and the moisture management piece, scientifically, what we know is that wool will actually manage moisture such that it's absorbing and desorbing against 65% relative humidity. So depending on what's going on in the ambient air, wool's going to start helping with air quality right there. Um, and of course, temperature control. Um, it's very important to note that it, it is a keratin in its basis, so it will not mold. Um, and that's particularly important when you're starting to talk about wall cavities where we know that moisture and condensation is getting in there. Now, where it gets really interesting and what people don't know um, about wool is that the amino acids in the structure will actually irreversibly bond with formaldehyde, um, nitrogen oxide, and sulfur dioxide. Um, that's what we know. Our expectation is that there's even more going on, um, and we're, we're looking for ways to do more studies in that space. Um, but just for anybody who um, might be interested in this, the bond is actually um, chemical and physical. It's called chemisorption and physisorption. And um, the chemical piece is about 80% of the bond, and it's totally irreversible. 
Um, the balance is physical, but it would only be re reversible at extreme temperatures or extreme moisture levels. So when you get into the, 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 the chemistry of it, it's a polar bond that will break down. So if you've got, um, if you've got wool absorbing formaldehyde and then you submerge it in water, um, that bond will break down. Our assumption and our view is that while you're going to get moisture in your wall cavities, you're not going to have them submerged in water. And so that allows us to take the view that 100% of that bond is irreversible uh, when you're talking about it from an insulation perspective. And there's some great studies out there, particularly on the formaldehyde side. Um, the latest that we've seen is 2014. Um, a young gal at UT Austin did her graduate work and basically focused on um, all of the Katrina victims that were given trailers by FEMA that were laden with formaldehyde. And in a nutshell, what she did is went and looked for a way to scrub the air of formaldehyde. And so she built a very small forced air system, introduced formaldehyde and found the, most ex um, the, the, the best medium for cleaning that air and absorbing the formaldehyde was actually wool. And she, she sourced that wool from one of our competitors because we weren't in business at the time. Um, and um, that, that was Oregon Shepherd up in Oregon, which is quite cool. So we're sort of happy to know all about that story and have had lots of conversations with the folks at UT Austin about their findings. Well, that's really helpful, right? And I, I think what's really um, interesting about this is is that it it's – it's such a low burn on the environment, right? Um, mm. And uh, in regards to the manufacturing and, and and all those kinds of things, I want to get into sort of what it looks like for a homeowner or the end user. Yeah. Is there is there a lifespan, or you know, it goes in and it just does its work? I mean, it's hard to know because I've only been in business for three and a half years. Um, you know, this idea came out of New Zealand where we spent a lot of time personally. Um, we've talked to, you know, builders and, and wool industry vets down there who have, you know, been using wool in their walls as insulation for, you know, 30 to 50 years. And they put it in and they forget about it. And so one of the things that, you know, we really harp on is, you know, first and foremost, we're, we're ready, willing, and able to admit that, we don't know because we haven't been around long enough and we haven't done the testing. Um, what we do know is that the integrity of the fiber um, is what allows wool to continue to do what it does. What we also know is that moisture is a really big problem for other forms of insulation. And so, you know, being set up to inherently actively manage that process is a huge advantage for wool. Um, it's still doing what it does as a fiber, even though it's off the back of a sheep. And so our sense is that it, it's going to do what it's supposed to um, over the life of the structure. We're not really in the business of beating up on the competition, but I've seen plenty of, well, I'm going to do it anyway, sorry. I've seen plenty of wall cavities that get opened up after 30 years and they were sprayed with cellulose, which is recycled newspaper. And it's a pile of dust on the floor. So I think, you know, frankly, I'm very happy to say that there's no silver bullet to insulation. But I think wool's as close as we're ever going to get. If you open up a wall cavity 30 years after you put wool in there, it's going to be sitting right where you left it. 
um, and it's going to be doing exactly what it was doing on day one. So I'm really comfortable making the suggestion that it's going to last at least the life of the structure. Um, but I, you know, as a new business person and, and someone who fully respects the science in the discussion of what we're doing, um, you know, I, I, we need to be careful in how we present that. I've heard people say that the folks at South Face in Atlanta have suggested that fiberglass should be replaced every eight years. Well, we know that's not happening. So I think it sort of comes down to, you know, it's quite easy to say, well, oh, you don't know how long it's going to last. Well, that's true, but I know it's going to outperform whatever else you put in that cavity. And I also know that it's not going to off-gas anything that might be dangerous or put small fibers into your respiratory tract. Um, and I know that in its creation, it's the lowest net embodied energy insulation you can buy by a multiple of a very large number. And should you actually choose to repurpose that structure, you can actually compost wool. So from a footprint perspective, um, there's just absolutely no other choice to make. Um, and, and again, I want, I want to stress at the same time, the high performance nature of the fiber means that you're not really giving anything up. So again, no silver bullet, but from what I've seen, wool's as close as we've gotten to this point. Maybe there's something else out there that's going to come along behind us and beat us up, but I don't know what that's going to be. Well, um, like I said, God, God knows better than the rest of us. <laughs> so, um, and I, yeah, I love I the idea of it being, um, you know, it's just, you know, it's just the whole food conversation too, right? You know, like, hundred percent. You know, we use that a lot. Those guys, right. Those guys are, are always saying food is medicine. Food is medicine. Mm, well, yep. who made food? So, um, so I'm just curious. So I am guilty, hashtag guilty, of not replacing my um, installation. So yep. tell me for a homeowner what this looks like. Like, like how do you insulate, you know, you know, I'm in a 1950s Warbride bungalow. I always yep. readily admit this thing is a sieve or a colander yep. in regards to um, air so yep. how does it work in regards to, I mean, blowing in the attic, I get it, but, like, I have an attic. How do you, if the, if the walls don't have, you know, I want, if I want to put insulation up against my walls, do you do a combination of the batting and the blow-in or? So what you would do if you were doing a remodel like that and you weren't tearing the walls down, which, of course, you'd probably like to avoid doing, um, there's right. a concept called drill and fill. And essentially what you do is you drill a small hole in your wall and you put a hose in there and you blow behind it um, and you get insulation in your cavity and then you plug the hole and paint over it. That's, that's traditionally what's done. Um, I, you know, it's very hard to know how that works. And I don't care if you're blowing cellulose or wool or fiberglass. Like, I, you know, it's going to be better because you're going to get insulation in there for sure. But, you know, you're going to have a tough time really understanding, you know, the efficacy of that because you can't see what you're doing. Um, it's a common practice. Um, and it's definitely something you can do. But, you know, th there's something really important about what we're doing and what's going on in this, this um, business segment that we're in these days that is, is very well summed up by what you've just said. Um, and it's worth taking a quick second to talk about it. When we built things, you know, 50, 100 years ago, we used little or no insulation, just as you've represented with your house. And, yes, it's a sieve. But – 
And so that's not great from an energy use perspective, but it is great from a building health perspective because those walls essentially get to bake dry. So it's very good for the structure that it gets to breathe. And in the last 20 years, to be honest, this is what's keeping the building science guys busy. Um, we've gotten very excited about the notion of air tightness because it's more efficient. And we're a big fan of that. Um, what we're not a fan of is what we, what we hope will be sort of the first attempt at creating that air tightness, which is of course changing building practices. But then we've gotten really excited about this opportunity to spray foam everywhere, which I just really intuitively am struggling with. Um, this is a jar of chemicals that someone turns up at a job site, which essentially makes that job site a manufacturing facility for chemicals. And someone who looks like they're walking on the moon is now spraying chemicals all over the place that you live. I, I just don't understand that. It, like, I don't understand how that gets advertised that way. I don't understand why people are so quick to invite that experience into their home. And more importantly, it's, it's becoming quite clear that it's not working because the foam is cracking. It's separating from the structure. And, you know, there are things scientifically that we understand, like a one thirty-second of an inch crack that's 48 inch, that's 40 inches long can let in up to 28 ounces of water a day. And now you've got an impermeable insulation that's letting vapor in behind it, and it's sitting there next to the wood if it's in your roof line or in your stud system, and it's creating a really big problem. And, you know, what we know is that these, these failure rates are on the rise. Of course, they're not highly publicized, but they're out there. And so not wanting to beat up on foam, although I have to say that once we spray this stuff and we send on a big job site, big custom home will send an entire dumpster of waste, of, of spray foam waste to the landfill. Where's that ultimately ending up? In the ocean. And is it ever going away? No. So I just, I, I, I've got a big personal issue with, with what we're doing in that space. But getting that out of the equation, because it doesn't mean anything, we've become a part of a second um, um, phase, I hope, in terms of creating air tightness, very simplistically, creating air tightness without disrupting inherent vapor drive. And so one of our distributors called 475 High Performance Building Supply, they're based in Brooklyn, um, but they've got a national footprint. Um, they're some of the smartest guys I've talked to in the space. They're architects and building scientists. Um, and they, they bring all of their products from Europe, with one exception, ours. Um, and we launched something together called the Smart Wall or Smart Enclosure System. And without getting into too much detail because everyone will fall asleep, um, there, there is a great opportunity to use smart membranes, which are airtight, vapor open, or vapor variable, there's all sorts of different membranes you can use. And then in the middle of that, those membranes, you create a cavity filled with wool because essentially by, by talking about air tightness but allowing vapor to move, what we're admitting is that moisture is getting into that cavity. And so we think it's the perfect recipe for um, putting an insulation there that will not be adversely effective and affected and in fact will actively manage moisture and then when the vapor drive, which goes both ways depending upon temperature and climate, um, 
it'll be allowed to be given off into the air and released out through the cavity. All the while, these membranes are monolithic, so you know there's nothing to break down. And you've got your air sealing, so you've got your efficiency and your structure. And nobody's getting ahead of themselves. But you know, when we get in these conversations with um, builders, certainly high-performance builders, um, but all builders and architects, like it's just sort of we feel like this is the way everybody should be building because it is the way to create the efficiency of air tightness without compromising what might be going on in that structure. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And it, it it makes this makes so much more because when I first heard about this product, I was thinking, oh, good, a natural fiber thing. But you've made such a compelling argument about why efficacy is there versus just like we're not filling up the home with a bunch of terrible, you know. It's 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 more of an it's more of a uh, an actual green building product than I thought because I thought the real reason people used wool was because they're sensitive to chemicals and I mean I, I knew I mean obviously it was going to be warmer but the whole argument about the moisture is really really interesting and needs to be told over and over and over again because Indeed. you know what the foam guys so this shows you how geeky wonky I am what the foam guys say or they don't say but the green building guys who are being honest will say is for instance, in the southeast, foam is a big problem because of the moisture issue, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and even mm-hmm. if you're going with a, so- a soybean oil type foam, you are going to have you're going to have moisture issues, which, aka, is normally mold, which is the worst thing right. you want in your walls, right? Precisely. So Precisely. I really love this conversation. I feel like we've just gotten started, and we could talk for another three hours. Um, we've already <laughs> sort of run out of time, so I'm going to ask your permission to let us go a little bit longer because me as a homeowner, one of the questions I have is, um, is what about moths? Like, you know, yep. you always hear, so what, what, what about moths? Well, there's a couple things. I mean, first and foremost, I just frankly wouldn't worry about it. Um, the we scour our wool in New Zealand for a lot of reasons, and we source our wool in New Zealand for a lot of reasons. But but one of them is scouring, and it's the Kiwis are the best in the world at cleaning wool. So first and foremost, you're back to the pastoral piece where you know we are what we eat, and and you know these guys are walking, and these sheep are walking around in amazing places, and so of course their wool's going to get a bit dirty. But um, um, you know we can see it get a lot worse in other places, and so. Um, one, we're starting with a very consistent material, um, and then and then we've got a very active um, wool community where you know they're constantly striving to you know create new technologies, and that means that their scouring is the best there is. Um, it means that we get a very consistent product. Um, the lanolin is all removed, which is of course a tractor for um, um, you know uh, insects and what what have you. Um, we we then also um, add a very slight amount of boric acid, which is it sounds a lot worse than it is. It's all natural and non-toxic. Um, we use that as an insect repellent, um, and we use a very little bit um, because the other thing is is um, boric acid is a slight flame retardant, and this is a whole separate discussion. But the ASTM E84 test is what we use in this country for flame spread and smoke development. Um, we use a very small component of boric acid because wool is naturally self-extinguishing. There's actually a really cool video about wool 
bedding on our website from, that the BBC did that shows that wool really just doesn't burn. Um, so um, essentially, um, I'm not worried about moths because of the way we get the wool so clean and because of what is then on it. Um, there's some conversations around boric acid coming off of wool over time. And, and, you know, does that then become a concern? Again, I haven't been around long enough to know. Um, we haven't had any issues. Um, I've anecdotally, I can say that I've got wool and crawl spaces in, in my house. Like you, I, I bought someone else's house. I haven't wanted to add to landfill. So I've left whatever's in the walls there, but any crawl space that I can get access to, I've pulled old insulation out and put wool in. And I've certainly picked up a few holes in my sweaters over the last couple of years, but, but the wool that's, you know, exposed in crawl spaces is just sitting there doing what it's supposed to. Um, another anecdotal piece, which might be even more interesting is we, um, we sent some stuff to a person um, who of course will be nameless, but a um, Google employee, uh, down in the South Bay of San Francisco, um, living up in the hills, uh, very analytical person, surprise, surprise, um, was concerned about moths and actually took our product and sent it to three entomologists around the country, um, had it studied, had them opine about whether or not moths would be a concern, introduced moths to the wool, and um, we passed. So again, anecdotal, but I think these things are quite real. Um, what right. I would say... What I would say, though, is that, you know, insulation shouldn't be seen as an attractor or a deterrent for insects and pests. Um, you know, you're not going to have uh, some pests standing around in the backyard looking at two houses and saying, hey, I think there's wool in that one and fiberglass in that one. Let's go hang out in the wool. What they're trying to do is get out of the elements. So they're looking for heat escape, uh, you know, in the winter, as an example, and, and they're going to go in and they're going to find their way into anything regardless of what it is. Um, and the same goes for insects. So, you know, we feel comfortable with, with what we've done. Um, certainly the advice we've taken from those in New Zealand who've been doing this much longer than we have. Um, and fortunately, we haven't seen an issue. So, um, you know, certainly I think that if anybody perceives it a risk, it's one worth taking. Uh, again, ready, willing, and able to admit there's no silver bullet for insulation. But, you know, let's let's not digress, but look at your alternatives. I mean, you know, fiberglass used to be labeled a carcinogen until they changed the aspect ratio of the fiber. Um, cellulose is laden with chemicals because it's highly flammable. Cotton's an underperformer and, you know, foam is foam. So alternatively, you can have a natural fiber that's quite good and has evolved over thousands of years as an insulator sitting in your walls. So, those are the choices, and everyone's free to make their own. Well, you've made a very compelling argument about we, why we should choose uh, sheep wool. Um, and we are out of time, but before we go, I want, because I know that people, because moisture is the huge issue, and and mm. uh, considering that 45% um, of the country now lives in the southeast re region of the United Amazing. States, um, we know we have a real challenge here. So tell us if someone is interested in digging in and getting more information sure. um, about this, where we can get information um, and and get this stuff in our walls. Yeah, thanks for asking. Um, 
So you can always call us. We make it pretty easy. My cell phone is on our website, and I'm more than happy to have a conversation with anybody who feels like picking up the phone and calling. Um, our website, of course, is, is uh, www.havelockwool.com. Um, we're, we're doing a much better job these days at getting more and more information out there. Um, I should make it clear that we're totally transparent. If somebody calls us and asks us for our testing data, we're happy to provide it. Um, and then, you know, we're working with Green Home Solutions out of Seattle. 475, um, you know, has a national footprint. Um, Green's in Chattanooga. We've just brought on a new advisory board member who's doing some really fun stuff um, with, uh, his name's Jarrett Davis. He's at uh, Hall Architects in Charlotte. And so, you know, we're just trying to do everything we can to get the message out because in the end, we've got an amazing product that people love, but frankly, no one knows about it. So um, we really appreciate the time on, on your show. Um, we encourage people to look on our website for either where to buy um, and you know, call any of those folks who will hopefully be well-versed on why we're doing what we're doing. Um, but then, of course, at any point in time, our email and our phone is there. You know, feel free to reach out directly. Well, Andrew, we really appreciate your time and giving us some extra time this morning. And um, we look forward to hearing more as you progress in your business. The best of luck with your business. Um, please make sure we get your press releases when you get installations or new partnerships here in the Southeast. Yep. We'll be happy to post. And um, awesome. thanks. thanks so much for your time this morning. We appreciate it. Thank you. Have a wonderful day. Thank you. You too. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye. I really want to talk to him forever because I've um, I've been we've been hearing about this um, at Southeast Green now almost since the inception, but not really realizing that it's really now available here in the Southeast. So um, very cool that in Chattanooga they've got um, someone who's doing this. We'll um, hopefully find someone who's doing this in um, the metro areas. Um, Around, around the area. So anyway, um, just a reminder that we have an awesome Green Biz directory listening to, uh, for sources, and I'm going to give you some information about how to get on the Green Business Directory listing. Did you know that one of the ways we like to support the sustainability community is by providing an opportunity for businesses of all sizes to be in our Green Business Directory listing? You should get on it because we are getting thousands of visitors every year on all sizes of businesses, and it's very exciting for the folks who are listed on the Green Business Directory. This is what you do to get on. You go to southeastgreen.com. On the second tab, there is the Green Business Directory listing. Click on that. There will be a drop-down menu, and you can join the Green Business Directory listing today. Not only will you be on the listing, but you will be sent out to over 10,000 accounts on our social media connections, and you'll also be listed in our next newsletter. So what are you waiting for? Join today. We are signing out with DJ Lang, Drops of H2O.